The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Welcome to the Cinematography Podcast. We have a a returning champion, our good, good friend, one of my closest friends in the world, Janelle Riley, who is an editor at Variety, and she covers the Oscars. And every year, until this year, she would do multiple live Q&As in actual movie theaters where you would go see a movie, and then she would be there with the director, the writer, the stars, whatever, and conduct Q&As. I don't know anyone who knows more about the Oscars on earth (laughs) than Janelle. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. That was a really elegant intro. I, I, I feel like I have a lot to live up to now. And you, you made better. me n- nostalgic for in-theater Q&As. I've been doing them all over Zoom, which has its advantages. You don't have to wear pants, but yeah. yeah. Are you wearing it's, pants right now? Uh, technically, yes. They're pajama shorts. Uh, yeah, I'm wearing that pants. Counts, Ilya, right? are you wearing pants? Uh, pants are on. Yes, absolutely. I'm at work, so I, I'd better be wearing pants. <laughs> So, yeah, Janelle, I mean, uh, I've, I've seen you in person a handful of times over the course of the pandemic, always yes, socially Yes, from six distanced. feet away, because yeah, you yeah. got the COVID. Um, I did. I got the Rona, and it was miserable. <laughs> uh, and you even brought us some soup, so thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, and, and you really must have lost your sense of taste, because it was terrible soup, and you were very nice about it. <laughs> I thought it was delicious. Actually, soup was my favorite thing to eat while I had the Rona. And Ilya, you were just saying you, you haven't seen Janelle. Have you seen her since we did this last, the last time we did this, we were in person at your office. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think before that might have been like seven or eight years when we were like, we're going to play Simpsons trivia. And we never did. So, <laughs> but but I, I, we never did together. No, I play no, Simpsons trivia every night. No, no. Well, yes, I, I'd really like to. Though, you especially... are Simpsons trivia. I would not want to play Simpsons trivia against you because I would lose every time. I, I know. Why some... can't I go on a Simpsons podcast and talk about uh, cinematography? Let's do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that sounds like fun. <laughs> All right, so Janelle, we've asked you in here to fulfill your duty here as this uh, expert in the Oscars to talk about the 2021 noms. Is there anything, just to, to get us get us going here, is there anything that really sticks out to you as being uh, unique or special or unexpected? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because this whole, we've been saying for like the last year, it's going to be a crazy Oscar season. It's so unpredictable. Nobody knows what's going to happen, not just because of the pandemic, but also the uh, Academy themselves made so many changes and added so many members. And at the end of the day, there weren't too many shockers in the nominations. And the ones that were kind of surprising were actually mostly pleasant surprises. Uh, I was so thrilled to see Paul Racy uh, nominated for Supporting Actor for Sound of Metal. Mm. He's someone that critics have been pushing a long time. There's been a lot of buzz, but he had just, you know, he'd been overlooked by the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and didn't look like he was going to get in. And I was so, so happy to see his name there. Same thing with Lakeith Stanfield, same category for Judas and the Black Messiah. I I got to punch in right here though, but shouldn't Lakeith be best actor? Wouldn't he be the leading role? Because I mean, well, here's the crazy thing. You know, there's a lot of complaining about category fraud when sometimes lead actors go supporting. Lakeith was submitted in lead. 
Huh. He, they, you know, both he and Warner Brothers agreed he was the lead. They put him in lead, and the Academy voters chose to put him in supporting, which I don't think has ever happened. We've seen instances where someone tried to campaign supporting and they got kicked to lead, like Kate Winslet for the Reader, who you know then went on to win. Um, but we've never seen this where someone campaigns in lead and gets put in supporting. And, and of course, now yeah, I know everyone hates to call it a competition, but he's also against his co-star from *Judas yes. and the ba- Black Messiah*. So yes. it's like. Wow. Uh, how, how, what's going to happen there? You think the vote will get split? Maybe a little, but ultimately I don't think it'll affect it. Daniel Kaluuya is perceived to be the front runner right now. And, you know, look at Sam Rockwell, the year he was nominated mm-hmm. and won for three billboards. He, Woody Harrelson was in his category. Kaluuya seems to be a bit of a powerhouse at this point. I also just think it's funny that they um, start and get out together. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And so the meme was going around of like Lakeith Stanfield saying, get out of my category, you know? <laughs> uh, with everybody watching movies from home this year, and there are places in the world where movie theaters are open and people could go see these in the theater, but in LA, where it matters the most in terms of the Oscars, uh, what, if anything, do you think was the net result of all of these movies basically being seen either on streaming services or on screeners? I mean, we all get screeners yeah. uh, if you're in a union or a guild out here, but like, what do you think was the net effect? None of us saw any of these movies in a theater. I think in a lot of ways it probably leveled the playing field, you know, because Mm. it is hard to get out to screenings and sometimes you're more apt to go to the screening that has the big movie star speaking afterwards than, you know, something that's a little smaller and quieter. I actually think, you know, even if if, if we didn't have the pandemic, the results would probably look similar because these are all such good movies. It's this is one of those years where like I don't hate any of the nominees for best picture. Oh wow. Yeah. And it's I won't <laughs> ask you which ones in the past you've hated. You I think they're it. the obvious ones or just, <laughs> or you know, hate is a hate is a strong word, but there were a lot that like just weren't my thing, you know? I yeah, really fair. like all these movies and I think it's probably been narrowed down to maybe four potential winners and honestly I love them all. So I'm, I, I don't think I'll be too disappointed um, come Oscar night. But yeah, I mean, everybody was seeing them on the same playing field. Um, and I actually think there are some movies that might have benefited from being able to watch at home at your own pace. Um, I actually saw Nomadland at mm-hmm. a drive-in. And uh, look, Nomadland is a great movie. It's going to hold up anywhere. But when I was able to watch it at home on a screener and like go back and really concentrate and, you know, I would love to see it in a theater, by the way. Drive-in, drive-in yeah. is a really cool experience, but there's a lot going on around you. To, it does <laughs> to sound like Nomadland is like a great movie to watch behind like the dirty windshield of your 85, you know, yeah. Buick. <laughs> How dare you? I drive a Toyota. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it just shows like, you know, these movies hold up under any circumstances. But uh, I actually, I hope this isn't sacrilege because it's a beautiful looking movie, but I really enjoyed watching Nomadland like on my TV. Well, and now, you know, a lot of us have 4K TVs and and really big screens. Not me. Not you? (laughs) No? You're just watching it on your your phone? On my iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... (laughs) Well, let's kind of go through the Best Cinematography nominees, and I, I, I kind of just want to get your vibe, your reaction, a, a, any reaction you have at all. What, I what, guess... What, what do you think the Academy is going to lean towards? Where, where, where do you... Oh, I think it's going to be Nomadland. Joshua yeah. James Richards. I mean, it's, it's so stunningly beautiful. Um, he has shot, I think, all of Chloe Zhao's film. They're actually partners in real life as well. And, uh, you know, he uh, previous, shot her last film, The Writer. And I was disappointed that that wasn't recognized 
for its cinematography. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's stunning. It's, you know, these beautiful sweeping vistas and mountains of America. It's, you know, all five nominees did amazing work, but I, I, I think it's really hard to to deny the power of Nomadland. Well, what do you think the, the Academy tends to respond to uh, in terms of cinematography, if there's, if, if there's a pattern or something that you've seen over the years? That's a good question because they do... Well, I was noticing that one of the other nominees, News of the World, also has like these beautiful Western sweeping gorgeous, vistas. Yeah. yeah, so gorgeous. But I think... Um, Frankly, if, if, if I'm being blunt, I think the fact that Nomadland is perceived to be a front runner for Best Picture kind of um, gives it an edge. Uh, Trial of the Chicago 7, which was shot by Fade and Papa Michael, who mm. is obviously, you know, a very highly regarded DP. And I don't think he's ever won, has he? He's been nominated before. I don't before, think he but, has. You know, uh, Trial of we, Chicago we had 7. Him on, we had him on the show. Uh, yeah, right no, he's great. Three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I think, our winner for most guests. Wow. He's, He's done it three times. Well, then he's won something if he hasn't won an Oscar yet. He won but... my heart. <laughs> and the Oscar is is not far away, I, I suspect, for him. He does such amazing work. Well, you see that pattern with directors like Martin Scorsese, uh, you know, probably the best one of the best examples where, you know, he made how many amazing, world-changing Oscar-caliber movies before he finally won for The Departed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of times it, it goes similarly for DPs where, you know, they've been around for a long time. They've made, you know, Fade and Papa Michael's made just an uncountable number of gorgeous, amazing, brilliant movies that he shot. And I sometimes wonder if sometimes when they win, it's like it's 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 because of the career that preceded that film and that film, if, the, if that makes sense. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, Roger Deakins finally won for a movie that I don't even know would be in his top 10, which was silly because then we gave it to him a couple years later again for 1917. Yeah. Well, but he, he is Roger Deakins. So obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, um, he blew our minds again. It's interesting because, you know, there's something that that really attracts, I think, voters to black and white. And Eric Messerschmidt shot Mank in black and white. And that's very eye catching and it looks beautiful. And it's it's, you know, a whole other playing field. At the same time, I still can't believe this. This is Eric's first movie. It is. As a yeah. DP. Yeah. And so it's no, like. No, we, we had him on the show. And whenever we have somebody, you know, who's doing work of that caliber, it's always like, oh, my God, we're going to have to talk about 30 <laughs> years of work. And Eric <laughs> mostly was talking about being a, you know, a gaffer on Bones and stuff. And it was just like, wow. what? I mean, like, he's shot a lot of stuff and he's yeah. worked with Fincher a lot. And I also, like, I wonder if Mank gets a boost in a sense, too, because the the Academy always loves movies about the entertainment industry, be it the artist yeah. or be it Argo, movies like that where we're talking about the entertainment industry. And here we're not just talking about the entertainment industry. We're talking about Orson freaking Wells and mm-hmm. what is generally believed to be one of the best films of all time. Yeah. And I mean, it goes without saying, but the movie looks fantastic. Like Absolutely he, gorgeous. He did yeah. an amazing job. Yeah, let me let me just jump in real quick here. You know, going back to Black and White and uh, Mank and the Academy and sort of their their response to to Black and White. At least when it comes to cinematography, sometimes uh, it seems to pay off, but but not always. Uh, Fade and Papa Michael was previously nominated for Nebraska. Also mm-hmm. black and white. Also didn't get it. But uh, there, there's other movies too that didn't quite. Uh, Cold War was nominated. Uh, Cold War didn't didn't win as well. So, um, but this is the second Academy Award nomination for Faden for uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven. 
He uh, he did such a good job. And then shocking to me, this is Sean Bobbitt's first nomination for Judas and the Black Messiah. This is the guy mm-hmm. who shoots Steve McQueen's movie. He was a cinematographer on 12 Years a Slave, and he wasn't even nominated. Place Beyond the Pines. I mean, he, he's been doing amazing work for a really long time, and I was sure it was a mistake when I heard this was his first nom. Yeah, it, it's, it's not, but I'm really glad to see him get recognized. He's done such Same. consistent, incredible work over the years. Yeah, and it should also be taught. Uh, we should mention Darius Wolski, who Ugh. just a brilliant cinematographer who's been doing just some of the top shelf work since, you know, really the 80s or 90s. You know, he did stuff like Dark City and just su- such an amazing cinematographer. And that movie caught me completely off guard, not just because it felt like new ground for him a little bit, but also it feels like new ground for uh, the director, Paul Greengrass, you know, in that it doesn't, it's not a long lens zoom fest like, you know, Green Zone or any of his, uh, any of his other stuff the you know the born movies all the stuff that greengrass has done he's known for a style and i wouldn't say that darius broke the style that he did because he's done so many styles in his life but i but i feel like it, it was just a very mature movie from both of them I loved News of the World, and I mean, most people, everybody I know likes it, but I had actually really hoped it would do better in the Oscar race. I was disappointed to see um, Helena Zengel wasn't nominated for Supporting Actress after Mm -hmm. landing both SAG and Golden Globe Awards. I just thought that movie was old-fashioned in the best way, and, you know, I don't know, maybe we just take Tom Hanks for granted, because he was... He was in two of the best movies of the year, actually, because he cameos in Borat's subsequent movie (laughs) film as well. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I'm I'm interested. I mean, obviously, it's not nominated for cinematography, but I'm interested in Borat and kind of the critical response or the the Academy level response for a movie like Borat. Like, I don't think that a movie like that has I can't think of a movie like that that ever got nominated where it's such a a documentary style farce, Mm -hmm. which is which is what Sasha Baron Cohen is, you know, best known for doing. It's interesting. There was a lot of uh, people saying like, you know, this isn't an awards film, which, you know, begs the question, what is like, because it was, I don't know if it was because it was a comedy or they felt it wasn't important enough. And I was like, this movie literally came out before the election because Sasha Baron Cohen was, you know, terrified about Trump being in power. And it is so subversive and so smart and such an act of um, activism actually and i'm like just because it's a comedy it's not an awards movie yeah. and it ultimately didn't get the best picture nomination which you know it was fighting an uphill battle for that but it was one of the 10 pga producers guild of america nominees and you know um golden globe Sacha winner. Cohen, yeah yeah and Sasha baron cohen's doing fine he's nominated for trial of the chicago seven and for the yeah. borat screenplay so <laughs> no I, th- I think that guy's gonna be just fine and when when actually that nomination came out i texted you because i was yeah. like in what universe is borat an adapted screenplay and you set me straight uh don't tell me straight you <laughs> took you over my knee and schooled <laughs> yeah. you yeah wait, wait, wait a second you're gonna have to give me the like the the 15 second version of that because i don't follow how it's an adapted I, screenplay either it's an adaptation of dostoevsky's the brothers karamazov <laughs> it's very subtle <laughs> Uh, no, it's based on uh, existing characters from, well, actually it goes back because the first Borat was also nominated for adapted screenplay because the character of Borat is pre-existing oh, uh, okay, from gotcha. the, the Ollie G show. And then Borat's subsequent movie film is an adaptation technically. It's why like the God, Godfather 2 is considered adapted or like uh, the, the weird example I used with Ben was like, it's like if you have the Muppets 
in anything. And they you know, take the moments Manhattan. are pre-existing. Yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, like, it makes me wonder, obviously this didn't happen, but John Turturro made that unofficial follow-up mm-hmm. to the to the Big Lebowski, mm. Jesus Rolls, and I wonder if that were nominated for screenplay, would it have to be adapted because the Jesus character comes yeah. from the Big Lebowski, but n- literally nothing else. Yeah, I think it would be considered adapted, and did anyone actually see that movie? I did not. Did not. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know anyone who saw it. <laughs> I, I actually would love to see it. I, it just uh, it came out really in an inconvenient time with, uh, you know, the, both the pandemic and chasing after a toddler. So for me, <laughs> which is worse, be honest. <laughs> no comment. Ooh. The one, uh... <laughs> That's really says you know, something the... about your kid. <laughs> this is a really good lineup of cinematography nominees, but I, I was kind of surprised to not see Minari here. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people will read into that and say, like, well, it's between Nomadland and Travel to Chicago 7 for Best Picture because they got the cinematography nominations. But I think it was just an issue of too much good stuff. Well, I was also interested to see a promising uh, young woman not nominated Me for Best Me too. I was really rooting for that. But and, and I actually think that, I mean, this is not to say anything negative about the looks of any of these other movies that I'm here, but I feel like on my personal shortlist, it would have been something I would have nominated because the look was so striking and so different, really. And so subversive, too. Mm-hmm. This, like, sort of, like, I, I know Emerald Fennell told her, her male cast, act like you're in a rom-com. Your character believes that they're the lead in a rom-com. By the way, I have my promising young woman nails going. Oh, nice. Oh, very good. (laughs) (laughs) All of you who who can't see this right now, Janelle has just holed up all of these pastel and multicolored nail polish in front of us. So So I I actually have another question about, is it Minari or Minari? Uh, It's Minari. Minari. I have a question about that, which is the Golden Globes kind of relegated it to foreign language film, Uh, even though there's plenty of English in it. And then I feel like it got so much love from the Academy. Is it a thumb in the eye of the Golden Globes? Well, the Golden Globes need to, they need to change a lot of things. Um, Mm. But, you know, they, even if, first of all, they put it in foreign language, which is ridiculous. It's an American-made film literally about the American dream that Mm -hmm. just so happens to have Korean actors. But Um, plenty of scenes that are not, that are in English. Sure, sure. The Will Patton character doesn't speak any Korean. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I really love Will Patton in that movie, by the way. I love him in everything. Yeah, he's he's, he's so good. But the other problem with that is like Parasite the year before, those films aren't eligible for Best Picture. So it's one thing, first of all, to put Minari in a foreign language category, but then to say like, that's it. You can't compete in, you know, the best picture category because you can't be best picture if you're foreign language or something. They have a a lot of things to work on. I mean, I feel like Parasite kind of broke that mold, although then it it kind of makes you think about what is the difference between a best picture nominatable film and a best foreign language film nominatable film. Because, you know, if, if you're thinking strictly in those terms, then obviously Parasite shouldn't have even been nominated for best picture or the best foreign language category shouldn't exist. But, you know, we would still love to celebrate movies from other cultures and other countries. So it's probably better that it does. But did the Parasite win from last year kind of muddy the difference between all of those things? You know, Golden Globes makes their own rules and does their own thing. So their rule right now is Mm. that if you are a foreign language film, sorry, I put air quotes around that, (laughs) remembering I can't be seen. If you are a foreign language film, as they deemed Minari to be, you can't compete in Best Picture. Ah, okay. Yeah. Silliness. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Janelle, you actually brought up something earlier that kind of jumped out at me, though, that I thought was interesting, which is uh, people saying that Nomadland, I, I think you said it was Nomadland and, and Mank, whichever ones it was, that like the Best Picture nominee that also has a Best Cinematography nominee has a better chance of winning. Is that? That's the thinking. That's a, like if you, you know, get all the below the line recognition there for a long time, you couldn't win Best Picture without a Best Editing nomination. Really? And I think it was Birdman that kind of blew that up because it didn't get recognized for editing. Because it's a series of single yeah. shot takes. <laughs> uh, you know, that, I'm sure that yeah. the editor worked their ass off on that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that exactly. Exactly. As, as was, awful. I'm sure that there was a lot of genius editing. In fact, so genius that you don't see the cuts. That's actually extremely hard to do. Don't start a rumble with the editor's podcast. <laughs> Those guys, they'll cut you. They'll cut you. <laughs> they will cut you. They get it. Yeah, that's a good da, da, joke. Da, 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 yeah. da, da, da. jokes are flowing out of my face. Yeah, and so like you know, there's a there's a perception that the more nominations you get below the line, the the stronger your film is being perceived overall. Um, you know, Mank got the most nominations with ten, and that was uh, a lot of that was below the line because David Fincher makes really good looking movies. But Shut also, up. you know, um, Gary Oldman sneaking into a I shouldn't say sneaking he's he was nominated for SAG <laughs> and Golden Globe as well, and he's Gary Oldman. Um, you know, landing a Best Actor nomination against some really tough competition and so thrilled to see Amanda Seyfried is finally an Academy Award nominee. She has been delivering awesome work for years and I think been really underestimated. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. And like on a personal note, I kind of want to ask you, what jumps out to you about cinematography that would make you say something was an Oscar worthy cinematography movie? Like what are the aspects that most kind of boil to the surface when you're watching a movie? Well, it's kind of a trick question because if it's really good cinematography, I'm not thinking about it, Mm. you know, until I go back and then like remember like really striking shots or, you know, I, I tend to watch these movies more than once if they're good and. You know, um, but but I will say both with News of the World and Nomadland, there were there were definitely times where like I was like, Jesus, that looks like a painting. Yeah. You know, that's just a beautiful vista. Um, Trial of the Chicago Seven. You know, I love Aaron Sorkin and I love period pieces, and I loved how it it really it, it everything about that movie felt like it was actually happening in the late sixties. Yeah. You know, like the movie itself was made then. Um, obviously, I can't say enough about. Eric Messerschmidt's work in Mank because it's just like, you know, jaw dropping. Um, that might be the one out of all of these where I was like super kind of aware of the cinematography in a good way. And cinematography is kind of the point in that movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I know it wasn't nominated, but like Promising Young Woman, while I was watching it, I was taking constant note of the look, like the look, it, not in a way that distracted me from the story, but like it, it, it definitely was putting you in a world. It might as well mm-hmm. have been a Marvel movie or a movie that took place on an alien planet. The world, it, it kind of put you in everything about it. The From the production design to the cinematography was all extremely stylized in a way that felt, you know, it, just brilliantly intentional. And I, I think we should probably, at least even though we're here to talk about cinematography, we should mention first time director Oscar nominee on that one. Oh, Emerald Fennell, yes. Yeah. Who also appears in the film as the woman giving the YouTube tutorials on how to uh, do makeup. I did not know that. <laughs> I yes, know that yeah, I just I just realized that the other day because I was rewatching it for like the fourth time and I was like, oh my God, that's Emerald. She's, she's the YouTube lady. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's important actually, we should probably bring up uh, production design a little bit here just because uh, both Mank and News of the World got production design nominations and I, and it doesn't always fall down this way, but 
uh, cinematography and production design get lumped in together so often that mm-hmm. uh, when you've got these sort of below the line categories that uh, that really attract a lot of attention, you often see doubling up in, in these sort of categories and cannot always predict the winner. But but sometimes uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom got a production design nomination, did not get a cinematography nomination. Do you see Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, possibly sneaking into this? Or do you think that Mank or News of the World or Tenant or The Father is, is going to take that down? Well, personally, I'm a huge fan of The Father because what it really does is put you inside the mind of, you know, a man suffering from dementia. And the, I was so happy to see the production design recognized here because it's it's very subtle. You know, he's he thinks he's in one apartment and things sort of shift and he starts to notice things are slightly different. And, mm. uh, you know, it's not like as showy as some of these other nominees. And the fact that it was recognized was was really encouraging. Um, I think it's going to be really tough to beat Mank in this category, because like you said, you know, the, the point is to a big extent, the look, and it's just so stunning to look at. Plus, you know, the amount of sets and the amount of, you know, famous places being recreated and yeah, it's I, I feel like it's going to run away with that. I was surprised to see Tenet not get as many nominations as I, I was ass- too. assumed it, it would. But it does pop up in production design and visual effects, but not it, it didn't pop up in cinematography. I was surprised, but not because it is just such a competitive category. And because I, I don't actually know. Tenet is, is, in regards to what I said earlier about, you know, evening the playing field, I don't know how many people got to see it in a theater. And I do feel that that's one that actually would, would benefit from being in a and theater. And you saw that in a theater, if I'm not mistaken, right? Shh. No, it's okay. You, yes. you saw it in like one of those situations where somebody rented out a theater and everyone yes, was very far away from each other. my friend for her birthday, uh, we were actually in a pod together, so we didn't even need to sit far apart, but we did because <laughs> we didn't <laughs> want to be around each other. Um, no, so it was actually, it was a theater. It was a real theater in, in Orange County, an AMC, but it was like fairly small, like maybe like a 250 seat theater. And mm-hmm. since they could only fill it to, I believe, like 40% capacity or maybe 20%, she just bought out all the tickets for a oh, showing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was fascinating because this was back in September and it was so weird walking into a theater, you know? But then once we sat down, even though we, we wore our masks during the movie, once we sat down, it just felt so natural and it came back so fast. And as people start going back to theaters, um, I'm hoping, but I, I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised by how quickly it comes back to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, in L.A. County, they just uh, reopened theaters, I believe, this week as we recorded. Yes. And, and Christopher 20- Nolan was there. Did was you he? hear this? He was no. at the Burbank AMC checking out Judas and the Black Messiah. Hmm. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so weird to be walking through there and just see Christopher Nolan, like, buying right? milk <laughs> But that's an uh, L.A. experience. That is one of those things I, I remember. That is true. <laughs> I remember. I, ha- yeah. I have seen. I have had some pretty uh, awesome star sightings in movie theaters. And not just remember? at your Q&As. Yeah. Remember when we were at the Arclight and you said, hey, that guy looks like Mandy Patinkin. And I was yeah. like, "That, that's, yeah, because it's <laughs> Andy Patinkin. Uh, I, the, my, my first experience with that was probably back in the uh, late 90s when I sat next to Soleil Moon Fry, because that was Soleil wow. Moon Fry sitting next to me, who, of course. Who's yeah. coming back again, by the way. Seems to. Yeah. 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 And has a new movie that she directed. Oh, I didn't know she directed it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. documentary. Well, I think we ought to talk at least a little bit about the directing category, uh, or at least, at least a little bit more, just because uh, there's only five nominees, 
and quite often directing and best picture kind of go together, but not mm-hmm. always. And it's uh, an interesting category with a couple of firsts. We got Lee Isaac Chung, you know, nominated for Minari, or and then also Chloe Zhao for uh, Nomadland, and who I think maybe is going to be the the favorite going in. David Fincher, of course, for Mank, and then uh, Thomas Vinterberg, who needs no introduction, of course. Who's uh, he's come up on this podcast so many freaking times, Thomas yeah. Vinterberg, and and of course know. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, which I mean, God, I I don't know which way this is going to go. But what's your crystal ball tell you, uh, Janelle? I mean, Chloe Zhao has all the, you know, precursors. By the way, this this matches the DGA lineup with the exception of Thomas Vinterberg did not make DGA. Aaron Sorkin did. And mm. it is a little disappointed to see him not recognized by the Oscars um, for directing. And I think it's he's a victim of his own success and that everybody just thinks of him as the writer yeah. You know, that, that he's a public utility too. Like, yeah. you know, we're just so used to him. He's been around yeah. for so long. Yeah. And, and it's too bad because I thought he did a really good job with trial of the Chicago seven, but, uh, but all the nominees, it's a, it's a really good lineup and making history. It's the first time ever two women are nominated in this category. And I believe only the third time that two of the movies nominated in best picture were helmed by women. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and I always wonder too about like David Fincher because David Fincher's not one best director yet. Mm-mm. Uh, he has is not. He, is, is he like uh, our generation's Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg, where I... he's just going to get nominated over and over <laughs> again, and when he's like seventy years old, he'll he'll win for a movie? I mean, I have a feeling. Like, like in fairness, he hasn't been nominated that many times. I mean, mm. it's like you know, it, he's not. Um, what's the word? Uh, Susan Lucci. You know, coming yeah. in with 13 <laughs> nominations. It's just that he's so good. We all are like, he's overdue, you know? And I think he's a overdue. lot of... And, yeah. and he hasn't made a lot of movies that feel like Oscar movies. Exactly. You, know, you, don't, you don't think of Oscars for Seven or Fight Club, although I love both of those movies to death. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, he's done stuff like uh, Benjamin Button or something that, that kind of have more of an Oscar-y feel to it. I mean, I, I don't even know if that's... I don't know anything about David Fincher. I don't know if he's, like, angling for being kind of the Oscar winning director or if he's just kind of going through his career and making the movies he wants to make because he's got the ability to do so. Yeah, I think Fincher is... I'm sure that everybody would love to win an Oscar, but I think, I think honestly, he's so happy he got this movie made. He's been yeah. wanting to make Meg for so long, and to be able to get to do it and to do it on his terms, like, that really has got to be a win. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm sure that after his relationship with Netflix, after two seasons of Mindhunter, you know, he was very comfortable Mm -hmm. releasing something on that platform. If the pandemic wasn't happening, though, I mean, I assume all these movies would have had to play theaters in order. Yeah, yeah, they changed the rules because of the pandemic. But but I think that all the movies we're looking at right now as nominees would have played theaters anyway. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, Were there any uh, anything that really snuck in here that you you weren't expecting at all? Let's see. Um, I keep coming out to the, back to that supporting actor category with Paul Racy and uh, Lakeith Stanfield. That was just such a pleasant surprise. Ben and I have actually talked about this, but like a lot of people are, you know, sort of down on Hillbilly Elegy. It might win two Oscars because the makeup and hairstyling in it is fantastic. And I think Glenn Close is really, really good. Uh, she's incredible. I, I genuinely like like the movie. I, and, I and, too. Uh, the reviews kind of trashed it. Of course, and, yeah. And uh, I saw it. I understand what the reviews were fixating on, but I actually thought it was an effective, good film. And, you know, Ron Howard, who's who's been on the podcast, he's, again, sort of like we're saying about a lot of these other people, kind of a 
Aaron Sorkin, uh, David Fincher, like this guy, Ron Howard's been around longer than any of us have been alive. He's been making movies since the late seventies. You know, we all kind of grew up in Ron Howard's movie universe. And, uh, and so it's kind of easy to take it for granted when he kind of stretches and makes a movie that's a little out of the comfort zone of what he does. And then you look back at his filmography and you're like, so many of his movies like uh, Frost Nixon or Rush or whatever were, were not exactly what you think of when you think of a Ron Howard mm-hmm. movie. He's just a very uh, chameleon-like, the way, you know, the way you were describing one of the DPs earlier. Uh, he's somebody who, who surprises us. And I feel bad that it got disliked from its release date by the critics. I don't know when Ron Howard became a punching bag, frankly. I thought we all loved the guy. He's like the nicest guy in the universe. He's the nicest human being alive. He makes good movies. Like, you know, I I do think a lot of the uh, uh, hostility towards Hillbilly Elegy was directed more at uh, the book's author, J.D. Vance. And so there are people who were just determined not to like it from the get-go. He's a slightly Trumpy person, or maybe not that slightly. But, yeah, uh, I understand, by the way, wh- why people don't like him. But I, I went into the movie not knowing anything about him, which I guess was a luxury for me. Yeah, I didn't know anything about him until after I saw the movie. But also, like, I, I feel like, you know, Ron Howard, who is an outspoken kind of not Trump supporting, very yeah. liberal guy taking on that material, I feel like is in a way kind of building a bridge for people on on his side, which I would say I'm on the Ron Howard side of the ideology there to kind of build a bridge to create empathy, which is kind of a healing act to try to do. And it's difficult, even when it comes to adapting a best-selling book that had great name recognition. Well, we are not alone because when I, I saw Hillbilly Elegy kind of late because the reviews were so bad, I kind of was putting it off as almost a joke. Like it almost became a bit that I hadn't seen Hillbilly mm-hmm. Elegy. And when I finally watched it and I was talking to people, I was like, I liked it. And so many people came back and said like, yeah, me too. I, I don't get it. Maybe it's just fun. To ha- Maybe people just was like, you know, let's let's hate on a movie with Hillbilly in the title or something. Yeah. Or it's tall poppy syndrome, you know, it's like Ron Howard has been around for so long, so he's an easy target to try and bring him down to mm-hmm. everybody else's level. But honestly, you know, he really is an amazing talent and he really has one of the more formidable filmographies in Hollywood history, really. Mm-hmm. So this has become a Ron Howard fan cast. <laughs> and, and, and the elegy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, I, I mean, like, I also watched it because we interviewed the DP on here and I wanted looked to be able great. to... To, to talk with her about it intelligently. And yeah, I mean, her work was great and her discussion about working with Ron was amazing. And I think it might be one of those movies that years on people look back on more fondly, which happens a lot. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes when whenever you're talking about Oscars, that's the thing, you know, we, we always come back to how, uh, how Green Was My Valley beat uh, Citizen Kane for Best Picture. I've never <laughs> seen How Green Was My Valley. Uh, when Leonard Malton was on the show and I, I brought that up, he's like, don't mess with How Green Was My Valley. And I'm like, I'm right, I mean, you know, it's, it's yeah, it, but yeah, I haven't I, seen it. <laughs> but, he, oh no, How Green Was My Valley is a very good movie, but nobody's making movies about the writer of How Green Was My Valley. Exactly. That's, that way. That, yeah. that's the thing. And, and so sometimes, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we can talk about how uh, Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas for Best Picture, you know, and it's like, what movie are we talking about today? But also the the thing about the Oscars is the Oscars is about its own time. So when when those yeah. two movies were out, Dances with Wolves was the kind of thing that was really moving the Academy members. It's all about the zeitgeist, which is why I've been saying for a while that I think Promising Young Woman has a real shot at Best Picture. Interesting. Because that is the movie of the moment. It's hard to watch that and not think about Get Out a little bit, where it's kind of a movie that's taking a social statement that needed to be made and turning it into a very watchable horror film. 
mm-hmm. like a very accessible horror film that is not it's not like I spit on your grave or something like that because there have been plenty of revenge movies that have had plot lines that maybe would look similar on paper but promising one young woman made by a woman which is an important part of it but but just the raw realness of it you know because I feel like a lot of times when I was watching I was watching it with my with uh, Alicia my wife and you know I was like ah that scene was a little over the top and she'd be like really that exact that exact yeah. thing happened to me and I'm like you're kidding me really yep yep it's so true and there's so much humor in that movie. Um, again, like because I was doing a, a rewatch the other day, uh, there's lines that, that are kind of like, they're not thrown away. I'm sure they're there on in, intentionally, but like you don't hear them the first time. Like when Sam Richardson has picked up Carrie Mulligan, you, you can hear him kind of talking about how when she comes home, she'll have to be quiet because he lives with his parents. <laughs> yeah. You know, things like that. Also, not again, not to harp too much on the cinematography, but like when she's talking to her parents, I remember they were always framed kind of low in the frame and just kind mm-hmm. of an awkward shot. And especially Clancy Brown, who we all know is like this towering giant yeah. of a person playing Trophy her dad. Yeah. yeah. And it's like framed kind of low in and of itself was just kind of a funny composition. Like mm-hmm. a, like it kind of threw you off like that. I love what you said about the rom-com and that angle, because in some ways it was almost shot like a copy of a copy of a copy of a rom-com. Like it was yeah. like so gauzy and so pastel. And then the, the you know, the content in it is just like darker than dark. It was just a brilliant uh, visual design for a film like that. Yeah. I want to quickly jump in with what I think is going to be the the most competitive race. I mean, they're all going to be competitive, but I think this one in particular is going to be more competitive than than all the others. Please tell me it's one of the technical ones. It's not. It's <laughs> it's actress in a leading role. I mean, we. we oh, I think mm. it's done. You, oh, really? You think so? You, yeah, you, I think it's Carrie Mulligan. Compl- I mean, I'll go with whoever wins. Uh, oh, really? Because I mean, because yeah. Viola Davis is incredible. Andrew Day is 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 really great. Frances McDormand and Carrie Mulligan. It's all they're all they're all great performances. So Viola Davis and. And uh, Frances McDormand have won before. And I, I hate to throw that out there, but people do take that sort of thing into consideration. Carrie Mulligan, I mean, I was a fan of her performance from the first time I saw it, but watching it again the other day, she takes on so many personas in this movie. Like, and back to back, like the way she, you know, is chummy with Alison Brie before like sticking the knife in, mm. you know, the way she just turns on a dime and all the different things she's playing and always you know subtle never obvious i think a lot and of people and she's kind of yeah. do again she's someone who's been around for a long time yeah. and she's done some outrageously good work and this is uh the first time she's being recognized at this level and really playing against type i mean she's kind of known for corsets and period pieces so mm-hmm. andrew day is fantastic by the way but the movie is is really bad and i know a lot of people who just can't get through it more more power to her for standing out you know, because it, it's it can be much easier to be good in a good movie. Um, and <laughs> Vanessa Kirby, I actually thought would be the front runner for a long time because, you know, it's such a stunning performance and she's kind of the new discovery. And um, sadly, I don't hear people talking about pieces of a woman as much as as I would like. No, that's that's why I didn't mention it. So I, I think that yeah. that's that's I mean, she's up against some really stiff competition as well, too. Yeah. But, uh, but no, uh, incredible. I I'm going to be watching this category with a lot of interest. And I think it'd be amazing if Carrie pulled this out. But who knows? Who knows? I, I, I could be surprised it could go a lot of different directions here. It could, and so I shouldn't say that it's it's definitely going to be Carrie, but that's my instinct right now. But we'll we'll, no, you know, I, th- we'll see. I think that that makes total sense. I mean, I feel like when you talk about Zeitgeist, that movie, it, and and that also maybe is what ties it to Get Out to me, or makes it you know sort of a companion piece within the same decade period 
to something like Get Out, where it's like a cultural frustration experienced by a lot of people comes out in the form of one movie that just nails it in such a brilliant, incisive and, again, accessible and entertaining way because it doesn't feel preachy. It doesn't feel didactic. But I feel like that movie just feels so, so goddamn zeitgeisty. And her performance, you can't talk about that movie without talking about her performance. Which is why I think it's probably the front runner for original screenplay. And that original screenplay is, to me, just such a strong category. I love Sound of Metal. Aaron Sorkin, obviously, can't go wrong there. I think he might be Emerald Fennell's biggest competition in that. I think it's. I think it might be down to the two of them. But uh, original screenplay does tend to go like with Get Out. You know, mm-hmm. to the film that is in the zeitgeist. Oh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna have to to cast my vote. I think towards Judas and the Black Messiah. I think that that has such an incredible script, and it's a script that a lot of people. It's a story that a lot of people are not really. Um, it, it's not in their consciousness, and it's it's brought forward in a in a really fantastic well. I would say that that Will Burson and Shaka King uh, could could possibly be the winners in that category. So so let's uh, kind of wrap up by making a prediction about the best cinematography category, and let's all kind of say like. Uh, at the who count of three? Th- all at the same time, on top of each other. Let, let's say who, who we think is probably the uh, front runner and and why. Uh, we, we I think I already know what your answer is, Janelle, but why don't you go ahead and start? Yeah, I think I said it before, Joshua James Richards for Nomadland. But honestly, this is another one of those things where they're all so good, I'm not going to be disappointed. Yeah, we're not here to crap on any of the uh, on anyone else, just like which one, if you had to guess, would win by whatever mm-hmm. metric. Ilya, who do you think is uh, the winner in your heart? Oh, man. Uh... I might have to give it to Darius. I mean, Darius Wolski's work is incredible. I don't mm-hmm. see News of the World necessarily uh, picking up a lot of other awards. Um, I th- see that it might be tough to beat. Now, Mank should be the front runner, I think, for some people here, but but I'm going to give it to Darius. Yeah, and I am going to give it to Mank. I mean, again, there isn't a, a film on this list that is not stunningly beautiful uh, with, you know, just some of the, the amazing work, and that's why it's, like, hard to kind of narrow down those five best at the end of the year. And again, I, I would love to, if Promising Young Woman was on this list, I would actually put that as my as my guess. Yeah, uh, Promising Young Woman, uh, it's in some ways, I think, a crime. It's not in this category. I thought that uh, Benjamin Krakchun did such an incredible job with it, and I think people are going to be talking about it for a long time. I, I do think, I mean, the way we still talk about Get Out with Reverence, I think we're going to be talking about this for a long time. But I do think that Mank, if I had to guess, and, and this is violating my own question a little bit, I think Fincher's not going to win. But I think that giving it, uh, and I don't think it's going to win Best Picture, but I think that cinematography is something where the cinematography is, A, it's about our industry, B, it is gorgeous. Like, it is, it's just stunning to look at. It, it is. It, it's really incredible. It's one of the most beautiful movies I may have ever seen. But uh, if, if we're, we're going, like, what the Academy's going to do, I don't know. I feel like News of the World just kind of has its you know it's place but you're yeah, right and I, and I guess I'm, I'm calculating what the academy is going to do because they like to uh congratulate themselves so you know, <laughs> never uh, words my, have been with, spoken with, that's with my mank prediction actually it's going to in a weird turn it's going to be about the guy who shot how green was my valley <laughs> <laughs> and he brings it full circle people. full circle that's right <laughs> Thank you, Leonard Malton. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, uh, Janella, this was really great. Uh, where can people find you if uh, if they would like to follow you on the social webs or see you in any of the other stuff that you do? I, I know that or you see do your work. Yeah, exactly. See some of your Emmy winning work. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm always spouting off at uh, Twitter and Instagram. My handle there is Janelle Riley, J-E-N-E-L-L-E. You'll also get really cool pictures of a big, funny looking dog if you hang Aww. out there. It's a good dog. <laughs> uh, They're all good dogs, Ben. It's true. 
<laughs> All right. I think that just about does this. Janelle, thanks so much for, for being on the show. Yeah, maybe I'll see you next year. <laughs> In person, maybe. <laughs> we can only hope. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.